Zach Wilson is in the building as Jets rookie minicamp is off and running. We go over the early look of the New York Jets in 2021, touch on Tom Wilson and the Rangers messy situation, and what the hell is Adam Schefter doing with this Aaron Rodgers report and the admission, the insane admission on the Dan Patrick Show. Sabo Radio back again Friday. Don't like releasing podcasts on Friday night uh, for obvious reasons. It's the dump night of the week, but hey, that's the way the bounce the ball bounces sometimes. And what can you do? Jets camp, rookie mini camp, I should say. Today, basically, the feel is just different, as you would expect. A new coaching regime. Coaching change, out is Adam Gase, in is Robert Sala, uh, LaFleur, all the familiar faces, Olbrich, Greg Knapp, quarterback coach Calabrese, all of them were there. The enthusiasm was at a fever pitch, especially for a rookie camp. Now, obviously it wasn't just the rookies, there were some other guys there like Guerrero and um, sort of some of the lower level roster guys. But Wilson, who obviously is subject number one, was the only quarterback. Uh, he didn't do anything crazy. Uh, Salah told the media he was just going to run 24 plays of seven on seven, which they did when the media wasn't there. And it's not a, it's not a thing where he's trying to hide Wilson from the media. It's just a introductory strategy, which makes complete sense. Uh, I mean, first day in New Jersey, in New York, why push it? Why do that if you don't have to? Initially, the media time was going to be 30 minutes. It lasted an hour. Uh, Stretches, breaking off into individuals, into positionals. We saw Wilson do a lot of, you know, really ho-hum stuff. You know, work into the flat, slants, why sticks. We'll, We'll check out some of the video on this podcast. Um, and also other than the Jets, we'll hit on Aaron Rodgers and the Rangers, Aaron Rodgers with all that stuff with Schefter. I don't know what the hell Schefter's doing. I mean, what he said to Dan Patrick the other day, I think it was yesterday or two days ago was quite revealing. And it's what happens in today's sports news media where sources really aren't there most of the times. It's just a traffic grab and taking advantage of doing so on draft day last Thursday without a source and admitting it to Dan Patrick, you know, just flat out admitting it was mind blowing to me. How, how could Schefter admit such a thing? And it's kind of being smoothed over. I think he was trending for a little bit when it happened the day of, but it's, it's smoothed over since it's ESPN. It's the worldwide leader. You're out for traffic. You're out for buzz. You're out for attention. That's the mandate. That's the goal. So we'll get into that a little bit because we we gotta we gotta keep it real. We gotta discuss the nuance of the actual topic and how reports and sources in today's sports media, any news media, are treated as truth when it needs to be the furthest thing from the from the case. I mean, it blows my mind. I can't even talk about it 
properly because Twitter, social media is a huge fault in this. To get the attention, you have to scramble. You have to come up with the the biggest story, the biggest headline at the right time. You have to be opportunistic. And it's just gradually brought us to this world where sources and reports are treated as truth when it should not be. Instead, we need to have a conversation surrounding sources and reports, not third-party relaying of that news without questioning it, without digging into it yourself. But we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. I don't know if I'll throw it on uh, JetSex Factor YouTube or not. I just started a Sable Radio YouTube channel because not... I'm not always limiting myself to just the Jets. Sometimes I have to talk Knicks, Rangers, Schefter, for example, the state of sports media. So I don't know. I don't know if Jets fans will like this stuff on the channel. It'll obviously be on the podcast, wherever you listen to the podcast, iTunes, Megaphone, Spotify, Google, what have you, TuneIn, Stitcher. But I'll just keep the Jets X Factor YouTube to just Jets. And we'll put up full episodes at Sable Radio on YouTube. And if you're watching right now on YouTube, you could actually see all the different channel names, the mailbag email, which we'll put out obviously every episode. Always send those mailbag emails in robbie.sabo at jetsexfactor.com. R O B B Y, like Robbie Anderson. Sabo. S-A-B as in boy-O, at JetSexFactor.com. Why was I not Robbie I-E? I don't know. It's just the way certain people made it, I guess. And the culprits would be my parents. And the Rangers, obviously, all the nonsense has gone down with Tom Wilson. We'll put a bow on that. Their last game is tomorrow or Sunday. I think it's Sunday against the Bruins. What a disaster with the Rangers, with John Davidson, uh, Jeff Gorton, and all that nonsense. Chris Drury, we have no idea if Drury could lead the way. Glenn Sather's obviously in lurking in the shadows. All I could tell his Rangers fans is, hey, at least he's not Isaiah Thomas. But we start with the Jets. Salah. Well, first of all, Salah obviously spoke to the media this morning, as did Elijah Moore, who told everyone he and Zach Wilson have been talking every day. He thinks Zach Wilson is a general. That's one of his quotes. Um, He loves his passion for the game. And Elijah Elijah Moore is just a, a ray of sunshine for this team. You know, that's off the field stuff. His on the field stuff is what he provides is incredible. What the Jets receiving group needed more than anything else was that guy who could stretch the edge, threaten the defense's edge. This new NFL, and the Wildcats started it all, you know, in 2008, 2009, with Miami, with the guy from Arkansas. I forget his name. His name is escaping me. But it led to coaches opening their eyes and realizing, hey, the NFL is becoming a lot pass-happy, a lot more pass-happy, and it's becoming softer. They're, protect, they're protecting guys a lot more with all the concussion stuff that's going out. In the past, when we ran read options, 
a defensive end, an outside linebacker in a 3-4, would take off my quarterback's head. He would rip it off permanently. That's not the case anymore. And, and season by season, Wildcat eventually grew into the zone read with RG3 and Kaepernick and Tebow in Denver. And the zone read eventually grew into the jet sweep, which pretty much every team utilizes. Andy Reid in Kansas City being you know chief among them. Uh, look at the success they do. And, and they, it, it's all about deception. East-West, while you're trying to gain chunks north-south. Deception East-West, gain chunks north-south. And that's why the tinier, shiftier receiver is thriving in this league, like a Tyreek Hill. Uh, so don't get me wrong. Elijah Moore could do everything. He's a deep threat. He's an excellent route runner. But the roles he'll fill immediately our jet motion guy in the floor system, uh, whether Crowder's there or not remains to be seen, but he will be the jet motion guy. He could take a handoff or two a game. He could pump return and he could do everything you ask for out of his Z receiver. But Elijah Moore spoke to the media back to the point and was glowing about Sala was glowing about Zach Wilson. They also had Elijah Vera Tucker available in the media. He thinks he's going to fit, brilliantly in the wide zone scheme i uh, told us he used to play soccer which is he credits that as part of the reason why he's so athletic quick feet and of course salah spoke and then practice started and all the buzz was zach wilson uh but before practice started salah had an interesting quote he uh he forgot he was head coach for a moment um Someone shouted out, uh, the head coach needs to give direction. And he forgot. He forgot he's been promoted and he's running the entire staff right now. But Sal is here and it's a new era. I know the easy thing to do is to claim Wilson would be a bust. The easy thing to do is say same old Jets. Those people take the easy route. That's going with the percentages. The hard thing to do is dig in, watch the film, and try to identify authenticity. Try to identify real football people. And in my opinion, the Jets finally have real football people in the three most important positions in the NFL. GM, head coach, quarterback. Yeah, someone could argue owner is by far the most important, but you can't change owner. And everything the Johnsons are doing has been tremendous. Changing the hierarchy, letting Joe Douglas run the show. So let's put them aside for now. Quarterback, head coach, GM, on draft night, what did Salah say? It was the most meaningful quote in recent Jets history in my mind. To Zach Wilson, on the phone, right after he got drafted, he assured him, listen, kid, just be yourself. Don't feel the pressure to have to lift us. We will lift you as an organization. That's a football person. And that's what the Jets have been lacking. They have one in Douglas at the GM spot. And I think they have one in Wilson at the football, at the quarterback spot. He's a film junkie. He loves the game. He's competitive as hell. His mom, hell, his mom's even calling him a savage on Instagram. So having football people who truly 
understand that, that the process means everything in this game rather than the results, that the process actually leads to great results, nailing down the right process is the key. So I think Jets fans need to be optimistic, should be optimistic, and should be applauding everything that's going on right now. Here's what Salah had to say on Zach Wilson prior to day one of rookie minicamp. You know, he's, he is a, he's a young man that's really, he loves football. You guys hear, you guys hear me and, and Joe obviously talk about it. We want guys who absolutely love football and, and he's a guy who loves football. And when you love football and I, I'm just talking, not just talking about Zach, but the entire free agency class, the entire draft class, these guys really love football. So when you, when you have a love for football, you're going to do everything you can to help yourself, not only get better at it, but you're going to do everything you can to protect it, uh, which means your off the field stuff is going to be right. And uh, so it's, it's this entire group and, and to have Zach, obviously to, to, and your quarterback to have that mindset where he is just always trying to find a way to get better. It's awesome, but it's, it's something that we want to see out of, of every single one of our guys. That specific audio provided by SNY, uh, Jets videos, their Jets uh, specific video account on Twitter. Um, like I said before, Elijah Moore, Zach Wilson in contact every day. I forget who it was. Someone asked him, Elijah Moore, what he's doing, how he's acclimated to the area, what he's going to do after minicamp, this short three-day span, which is today, Friday, Saturday, and I think Sunday, but um, Mother's Day, so they're going to be left alone on Sunday. And Elijah Moore basically told us, he said, I'm going to get with Zach Wilson and figure it out. Uh, once mini camp ends, once Ricky mini camp ends, which means he's ready to work. Oh, no, nah, man, definitely. You know, we've been in contact like almost every day, you know, despite the fact that, you know, we're both very busy now learning the playbook and just trying to get acclimated. You know, he's someone that wasted no, no time. As soon as he knew that they got me, I started watching his highlights, started watching mine, you know, just, just trying, trying to see what, you know, what I got and what, and, and what he got, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to make, make him look good and vice versa. In terms of what we saw on the field, I mean, listen, it's rookie minicamp. There's not much to dissect. Uh, there's not much to break down. What can you say? I mean, all you could do is get the numbers out. The fans seem to be most interested in the numbers, which uh, we'll unveil here a little bit. But I'm sure every fan knows Zach Wilson was wearing number two. On Friday, uh, Nagar, the kicker, he has been assigned number one. So it looks like Wilson won't go with one because Nagar has been assigned one and Chase McLaughlin was cut today. So Nagar will have his shot to battle with Ficken, kicking Ficken this summer. Uh, that should be interesting to watch. All of these numbers are unofficial. Keep that in mind. But Wilson being number two is a pretty solid bet at this point, uh, considering Nagar is one, and they would have given Wilson any number that was not occupied. Uh, Elijah Moore's number eight. If you're looking at the screen on YouTube, here they are. And interestingly enough, Carter and Carter two, Carter the second, they got me on day one. Got me on day one. I mixed up the numbers put Carter 2 as 32 and Carter as 30, flip-flop it. Carter 2 is 30, taking the Drew Coleman number of the pass, the DB, uh, slot corner, and Carter is 32, the running back. 
uh, more of a running back number, classic running back number, to be honest, over 30. The others, Isaiah Dunn is 36, Brandon Nichols is 25, Jamie and Sherwood is 44, Nazareldine, 45. I got to work on that, pronouncing that name, Nazareldine. So Sherwood and Nazareldine, the two lighter linebackers, will linebackers converting from safety, will go 44 and 45. And they're key. You know, I'm going to do my next film uh, review is going to be based on Salah's defense. And it focuses on these two guys and how flexible this defense is and why he wants it flexible. And how Sherwood and Nazareldine make that happen. And also, uh, LaMarcus Joyner at safety too. What it does is it doesn't force the defense to have to come out of base against 11 personnel. Yes, nickel will always be needed. You'll always need to bring a third corner in, such as Javelin Guidry or Michael Corder II, or even Eccles, who has a chance to compete at the slot. But the flexibility doesn't force Salah to have to change, but that's for a different day. Uh, Sherwood 44, Nazaruddine 45, Nagar 1, Elijah Moore 8, which is a nice looking number. It's going to be weird to see receivers in the, in the single digits, but what are you going to do? I'm kind of on Tom Brady's side with that, especially at the NFL level. Uh, Carter, DB 30, Carter 2. See, they got me again. I just messed up. Carter... The running back, 32. Carter, the second, DB, 30. Jason Pinnock from Pitt, 41. AVT, 75. Nice looking guard number. Uh, Yaboa, 48. Interesting tight end number. Uh, It's not uncommon. Not uncommon over the last decade to see a tight end in the 40s. And then Marshall, the big D tackle, 96. So those are the notable jersey numbers. I think I had a couple of uh, responses that uh, they're gonna someone one fan's gonna buy every single jersey. It might have been uh, Matt or Mike, our good friends who run the best comedic G, uh, Jets Twitter channels, Twitter accounts in the world. Uh, NYJ underscore Matt, NYJ underscore Mike, the Broadway Jets people. One of them. Is looking to buy every single jersey. I think he's insane. I def- I challenge him to prove it. Uh, let me see if I can find the comments. Yeah, NYJ Mike. I'm buying all of these jerseys. I got to issue a challenge. We got to see that because that this guy. I mean, call your favorite China website because you're not give, you're not going authentic with all twelve or thirteen or whatever the whatever the count may be. But anyway, uh, moving on to Zach Wilson on the field. I mean, again, there's nothing you can really break down. Uh, the kid, I was high on him from the start. I wanted them to make this change. His traits are more translatable to the NFL than any other quarterback in the class. You could see it, and you could see it on the practice field. Here he is right here throwing slants. This is... After, I caught it right after the Elijah Moore slant. I can't give you who he's throwing to, but right on the dime, perfect placement. Yeah, I mean, the placement is perfect. 
it's against air it's in shorts but so you can't really stand and cheer but it's what you want to say you don't want to see balls hit the ground in any of these drills even in seven on seven and that's one of the sad things about the gay darnold era balls frequently hit the ground in seven on seven against air even without the defense out there i wouldn't say frequently but it happened far too often now he goes to y stick hits a y stick to yaboa i uh, don't know who the next tight end is but he was crisp with his with everything he did and you just you just love to see that on day 1 and fans were clamoring for it and they and they got as much video as the media could possibly turn out uh here's another one to the flat running backs is that guerrero i think a little flat work with Zach wilson guerrero to the running backs and I mean, he looks impressive while he's smaller in stature to other quarterbacks. When you're watching him live, you don't go, whoa, the kid looks small. You you don't say that to yourself at all. Uh, There he hits Michael Carter in the flat, number 32. Get ready to catch a lot of passes. Michael Carter, the first. Not the second, the first. And I think it's just Guerrero and Michael Carter here rotating. Yeah. There's inside placement from Wilson there on that flat to Guerrero. Not sure if he meant to do that or not. You want to keep it outside there. Uh, Here's pretty much where he started with just a little, uh, some footwork drills, throwing to coaches right after the stretches. Uh, Nothing crazy here where fireworks are going to go off. I think that's Calabrese talking to him. Greg Knapp is behind him. I mean, if you're a Jets fan who can't get enough of this stuff, you got your fill today because Salah, although he didn't let the media see the seven on seven, they, they didn't mind the exposure. They didn't mind the Wilson photos, the Wilson videos, all that good stuff going out on social media, going out in articles, going out on podcasts. As you see the footwork there, that's, I mean, it looks easy because there's no competition, but that stuff is not easy. Uh, And that's pretty much it. I mean, the other videos that we have are, uh, Wilson in his stretch lines, legendary high knees and power skips from Wilson here with the black headband, number two red jersey, which you see a coach going across the line. I could didn't catch who that was, but that's the enthusiasm that I was referencing earlier. The enthusiasm with the coaches is off the charts compared to the previous regime. Salah. As soon as uh, the session started, he came over to the media, introduced himself, talked to a bunch of people, and off he went. When stretching was happening, he engaged players. He went up to them, spoke to them, a positive attitude. We love what we're doing here. We love life. Let's engage. Let's connect as people. That's his motto, and that's what you love to see. You know, Salah not having not having the ego to have to call the defensive plays was the first great sign in my mind. I don't care if the head coach calls offensive or defensive plays, but to not have the ego to feel like you must is a great sign. Uh, here's the video that I was just talking about, Salah. Right in the thick of things with the Jets stretching, um, smiling, 
checking things out. Doesn't really engage players on the video, just chatting it up, talking to everybody. Uh, but that was that was going on during the pregame or the pre-session uh, stretches. What can you say? Two more days for a rookie minicamp. Some time off, and there goes Wilson doing his uh, pre-stretch stretch routine, where he's kind of dancing. I don't know. I don't know what you'd call this. It's not a karaoke. It's not. Uh, there's karaoke. Proper term is. A little different than how I pronounce it, but get over it. Let's take a look at the depth chart really quick. And you know what? This needs to be updated. We'll update it for tomorrow's newsletter, which means I have some work tonight. Um, Thanks, everybody. But the depth chart does look deep. There's a lot of bodies. It's 90 plus. Will they sign some veteran guys? Of course, it always happens. Uh, Will Sherman be part of the mix? I think there was a report today, I don't remember who it was from, that he's close to resigning with San Fran, but who the hell knows? Uh, quarterback, you got Zach Wilson leading the charge, Mike White, James Morgan, they need a veteran backup, there's no question about it, unless they feel that good about Mike White. Mike White played well in training camp last year, but I don't think you can go into a season with this situation. You need a veteran guy in the quarterback room, even more so to take snaps in game if Wilson gets hurt. That veteran guy is even more important to the team in the room, watching film, um, being that guy to to lean on. So look out for Brian Hoyer. We shall see. Running backs, Michael Carter. Uh, I'm putting him as RB1. I think he'll be starting come week one. He obviously won't be starting at the start of OTAs and training camp OTAs. Obviously I don't think anything's going to happen there, but Salah uh, strikes me as the guy who make all the rookies earn it. I don't think he'll be starting, uh, you know, come training camp, but by week one, I'm giving him the nod right now. Ty Johnson, number two speedster, you know, perfect one cut guy to be the ying to Michael Carter's Yang. It's a nice one-two punch there. And then Tevin Coleman as the third guy, the veteran guy who could catch out of the backfield, third down back when needed, who knows the system. The odd man out right now is LaMichael Piran. I hate to say it. He uh, put a tweet up the other day where he's embracing his underdog role. He said, I love it when they sleep on the kid. Something along those lines. And we'll see what happens. Tevin Coleman has a lot of injuries in his recent past, so... I don't think P. Ryan's in danger of getting cut. You know, if all four guys remain healthy in August, I expect all four guys to make the team. But in terms of a trio, P. Ryan's number four. Doesn't mean he won't carry the ball. You know, think about where the floor is coming from. Shanahan. They use backs. They love to use backs. And even Shanahan's dad in Denver, after Terrell Davis, they rotated backs like mad. Uh, fullback, and yes, I am comfortable putting Trevin Wesco at fullback. With LaFleur's offense, he's going to use a lot of fullback, a lot of H-back, a lot of 12 personnel where Wesco could go in line as the second tight end if you really want that blocking in line. But I'm comfortable enough at this point to, to label Wesco a fullback. Tight ends, Herndon, Croft, Griffin, uh, Daniel Brown, Kenny Eboa, and Connor Davis. 
Got to check those transactions today. Again, we'll update the depth chart. A uh, few moves were made, but the start, the top three of Herndon, Croft, is Gri- and Griffin is pretty solid. Croft, as that second tight end, could block in line, could catch it. He's really versatile. Wide receivers, Corey Davis as the Z, Denzel Mims as the X, Jamison Crowder as the H, as the slot. Elijah Moore is number four. He will be the H, the slot, next year or even this year, depending on what happens to Crowder. Um, if all four if all four stick around and Crowder sticks around, you could see Moore and Crowder on the field at the same time. That That is fine. You could have two smaller guys in this current NFL starting. Not even just 11 personnel, but in 21 personnel, in pro personnel. It's not ideal. You want an outside threat, but it's possible. Back in the old days, it wasn't possible. You never wanted to do it. Keelan Cole as number five, uh, who could do everything. He could play slot. He could play the X, play the Z. He's not a jet motion guy. He's not a guy who could stretch the edge. Barrios can fill that role, but he's not a game breaker like Morris. Moore is just... The more, every day that passes, the more I get excited about Elijah Moore. You know, I I don't like receivers sort of like running back these days where it's not as valuable. They're losing its value. The position is losing its value because they are a dime a dozen because of the way football is these days. In college, in the NFL, there's so many passing yards that there's so many guys passing so easy that the value is starting to lower in terms of that position. So, you know, at first I didn't hate it. I actually loved it because I knew we could threaten the edge. But generally, taking a receiver that high, I wouldn't love. In this case, I love it. It's my favorite pick of the draft. It, hands down. They needed this guy. This receiving group was never complete with Davis, Mims, and Crowder. As good as Crowder is, he cannot do the stuff Moore does. And you need a guy to threaten the defense's edge. You just need it. Uh, Berrios is the only other guy, and he's just not a game-breaker, like I said. Uh, Vincent Smith, Jeff Smith, Cager, Malone, Doxon, who got cut today. So throw him off. Scott, Bailey, Montgomery. Offensive tackles, Becton, Fant, Edoga, McDermott, and the three undrafted free agents, Ferguson, Hermans, and Saltes, who Saltes, early on, it looks like he's got good feet, which gives him a good chance at tackle in the NFL. Uh, so of all the three guys, I give him the best chance to have a fighting chance to make the make the team. They're good at tackle. Becton, monster, has to stay healthy. Fant is going to be much improved in this wide scheme, wide zone scheme. Interior lineman, Elijah Veritelka at the number one spot. Yes. And fans who say Douglas should not have traded up for this guy are absolutely out of their minds. Bananas. Crazy town. I don't care that he gave up uh, two third rounders. I don't care that he uh, came away on the wrong side of the draft value chart point system Jimmy Johnson made famous in the early 90s. I don't care. You know, it was a minimal amount. And this guy is a stud. This guy will fit this scheme perfectly. And they needed a guy. They needed an interior lineman that was a can't-miss guy. He's can't-miss. Just like Becton, those are two can't-miss guys, and that's how it begins for an offensive line unit. You need premium talent, which means 
Douglas has drafted two first-round offensive linemen in his first two seasons, as many as the Jets have in the previous 14. That's how you start something special. And he also he also nabbed Carl Lawson, a guy who could fill John Abraham's shoes. They haven't had a legit edge pass rusher since 2005. He put to bed those two nasty streaks, those two football sins, in two drafts, two off-seasons. I can't say enough about those two things and why I think this team's future is limitless. Elijah Vera Tucker, AVT, left guard, McGovern center, Van Rotten, right guard. You got Alex Lewis as the odd man out right now. Will he be on the roster? Uh, come August, come September, don't know. Dan Feeney, we know he'll be there. Will he be the fourth or fifth? That's the question. Will Cameron Clark step up? Can he overtake Van Roten at right guard? Did Gase just not like Clark? Did he lean on his veterans as he normally does? We saw Gore. Or did Clark struggle last year? We don't know. Uh, he was thrown on first teams, I'd say, in practice last year. I'd say a handful of times. Didn't happen often. It didn't see the field, you know, game field, but he was thrown in first, second string teams a handful of times. Let's see what happens there. James Murray, Corey Levin, Tristan Hodge. IDL, Jets interior defensive lineman, stacked. Quinnen Williams, Foley Fatakasi, Sheldon Rankins, Nathan Shepard, the rookie, Jonathan Marshall. And then, you know, those five will make the team. Most likely, then you got Tanzel Smart and the undrafted free agent, Jwumfor. Yeah, I don't know if I got that one right. Edge players, Lawson, John Franklin Myers, Vinnie Curry, Bryce Huff, Kyle Phillips, Jabari Zuniga, Sharif Finch, John Daka, Hamill Carr, Rashad Jr. What a great name for an edge player. I don't know if Hamill Carr is an edge or a linebacker yet. That remains to be seen. He might be a second-level guy. Uh, but regardless, he has a fight ahead of ahead of him to make this team. Edge, JFM, and Phillips could also play inside. So come to think about it, Nathan Shepard isn't totally safe. Neither is Jonathan Marshall, even though he's, he's a drafted rookie. He's nearly safe because JFM, although JFM and Phillips are labeled at edge, they could shift inside, and JFM will do that frequently in sub-package. What you like, and this is going to go into that film stuff that I do with the flexible D. It's not just about the light wills or joiner who could walk down on a slot from his safety safety spot. It's about the flexible four-man rush. There are so many looks that Salah could throw at opposing offensive lines. On sub-packages, get Foley out of there, put JFM to the inside. You got JFM and Quinn into the inside with Curry and Lawson on the outside. Leave JFM at edge, put Rankins in there and get Foley out. So you have Rankins and Quinn on the inside with JFM and Lawson on the outside. Or Rankins and Quinn on the inside with Lawson and Curry or Lawson and JFM or Lawson and Bryce Huff. There's a lot of things they could do. Zuniga is going to have to step it up to see, uh, to ensure that he doesn't reach bust label by this August, this September, this October. Linebackers, this competition should be fun. Uh, CJ Mosley, Jared Davis, CJ Mosley, Mike Davis, Sam. Right now, Blake Cashman is the de facto will, but I have a feeling Salah, Douglas, 
Ulbrich want to see Sherwood or Nazaruddin? One of the two. I know it's a fifth rounder and a sixth rounder. You can't expect much from either of those rounds. But it's not outlandish either to want one of the two to grab that will position. So I think that's the goal. That's what you want. You want one of those two guys to step up. Hopefully it's Sherwood because they invested a little more, pick 146 as opposed to Nazaruddin at 186. But having one of those two guys step up to play will, bump Cashman out of there, will allow Albrecht and Salah a lot of freedom to do what they want to do with this defense. Delshawn Phillips is the pretty much the only backup Mike right now. And he's he, ever really looked too much into him, but from some of the stuff I've seen, he's been impressive in terms of athleticism. Uh, Noah Dawkins, Milo Efler, Effler, another UDFA. Cornerbacks, this is going to be the really fun battle this August. Bryce Hall, bless Austin on the outside. Javelin Guidry, slot. Lamar Jackson on the outside. Corey Ballantine on the outside. Might be able to play a little slot. Michael Carter the second could play slot or free safety. And Carter versus Guidry should be very interesting. Jason Pinnock at a pit outside. He's only six foot, but he's very long. And that's what you want. That's what Salah wants in his cornerbacks on the outside to be very long, playing quarters, playing cover three, uh, get up right in the receiver's face only to bail, turn those hips, high point the ball. Uh, you know, he doesn't really ask his outside corners to have to be incredible, incredible athletes in terms of breaking on a dime, uh, being insane with the T-step. If they could be physical, bail, turn the hips early, bail, stay on top, don't let the receiver stack them, and win at the high point, that's what he wants out of his outside corners. And Pinnock could do that. So can Pinnock meet Bryce Hall at the top? We shall see. Brandon Eccles is another kid. Can he play inside and outside? I don't know yet. Uh, I know he could play outside. I don't know about inside. It'll be nice if he could play inside as well. Justin Hardy, we know he's a special teams guy. So he won't be playing much corner. Isaiah Dunn, the record-breaking signing bonus for an undrafted free agent. I'm sure they're really rooting for him to make the team. I'll tell you that. Uh, Kyron Brown, who was cut today, Zane Lewis. Safeties, pretty straightforward here. May, Joyner, Davis. I think Joyner will win the job over Davis. He's a veteran. Uh, Davis coming into the second year, still needs a lot of seasoning. Uh, Joyner, again, the flexibility. He could start too high with May, walk down, even play man on the slot. If you stick ba- if you stick to base against 11 personnel. But Davis will battle Joyner for that second safety spot. Bennett Jackson is number four. Elijah Campbell, Jordan Peters, and Brendan White, two undrafted free agents who were there today. JT Hassel, Saquon Hampton. And then special teams, Ficken. McLaughlin was cut today. Nagar, Braden Mann, Thomas Hennessy, the legendary long snapper, obvious, who obviously will be on the team, he and Braden Mann. Here it is from a distance. And again, we need to update it with the transactions today, but... Here it is. It, it looks decent to me. I mean, a lot of people will laugh at that comment. It looks decent, or snicker. But to me, it actually looks decent. Decent. They're young. There's there's a lot of hope, and they're building it. More importantly, most importantly, they're building it the right way, inside out. 
putting the correct amount of resource in the most important positions. If you were going to go, if you're going to ask me which positions would you feel more comfortable with going into the season unsure about, I would tell you cornerback and linebacker. You know, you don't want to go into a season unsure about your O-line. You don't want to go into a season unsure about your quarterback or edge or IDL. Why corner and linebacker? Because a nasty four-man conventional rush could hide those ills. It could cover up for deficiencies behind them. San Fran is a perfect example. That secondary that ranked first in the league by PFF when they went to the Super Bowl, to me, was not that good. I'd say it was middle of the pack talent-wise, if that. But the reason why they ranked so good statistically was because of that four-man pass rush. And right now, the Jets' four-man pass rush can be scary. Very scary. And they're seven, eight deep. So, Douglas, Salah, they put the correct resources into the team, into this depth chart at this particular time in the program rebuild. And that's got to be an extremely promising sign for all Jets fans. So Adam Schefter on draft day broke the behemoth of a report that pretty much usurped all these kids who have been waiting their entire lifetime to get drafted by an NFL team that Aaron Rodgers is so disgruntled, quote, is so disgruntled with the Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. League and team sources told ESPN on Thursday, quote, end quote. That is right in the article on ESPN, April 29th, 2021. Okay. So the NFL world goes mad, goes nuts. And of course, Schefter has a report. It's a bomb. Schefter bomb, you know, like his NBA brethren, Woj bomb. People can't get enough of this crap. Here's the tweet. If you're watching on YouTube, reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers, MVP Aaron Rodgers is so disgruntled with the Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. League and team sources told ESPN on Thursday. More on NFL Live now. 107,000 likes, 48,000 retweets, 6.5 thousand comments. Boom. Okay. It happens. Big report. Schefter learned some news. He's broken a lot of stories in the past. Despite ESPN's classic um, line where it would read ESPN Schefter or ESPN has learned that blah, 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 blah. ESPN's Adam Schefter has learned that blah, 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 even though someone else broke the report hours earlier. But whatever. He goes on Dan Patrick on May 6th. Which is, what, two days ago now? No, yesterday. Might have been two days ago. I don't know. I forget. Schefter. We'll we'll listen to the video here. But here's the quote. Dan Patrick asked him, you chose to break the Rodgers news on draft day. Schefter, quote, that is absolutely accurate. Correct. It was nothing that morning that came in that all of a sudden said to me, yeah, he wants out. You should report this. It was just an accumulation of information. Let's listen. It was just about a week ago, a couple hours from now, where Adam Schefter 
came on Sports Center and said basically that Aaron Rodgers wanted out of Green Bay. Uh, walk me through that. Did you get a phone call or text? You know, Dan, the funny part about it is that I've heard people say, oh, Aaron Rodgers wanted that out before the draft. Mm-hmm. I can assure you Aaron Rodgers did not want that out before the draft. I've had people say the Green Bay Packers planted that. It was a very pro-Packers story. Yeah, I can assure you the Green Bay Packers didn't plant that. When people guess at where stories come from, more often than not, they're usually wrong. And in this case, they're wrong. This was an accumulation all during the offseason of just listening to people talk and observing. And if we go back to the NFC Championship game that the Green Bay Packers lost at home, did we not hear Aaron Rodgers after that game talk about his level of unhappiness, if you will, uncertainty for the future? Just go back and listen to that press conference, and it sounds almost like he's saying goodbye to Green Bay. And so your antenna's up, and I'm just telling you throughout the course of the offseason, there was rarely a week that went by where I didn't hear something about Aaron Rodgers. And on draft day, there's a report that morning from Paul Allen out in Minneapolis that the 49ers made a draft offer, which they didn't make an offer. They never made an offer. And then other people are saying that the 49ers called. And I said, how long till it gets out that Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Is it next week? Is it next when he doesn't show to the OTAs? Is it next month when he isn't? It's going to come out. What does it matter if it comes out now or next week or next month? And so. So you chose to break the news on draft day. That is actually that is absolutely accurate. Correct. But it wasn't something that you got information about. No. Oh, OK. OK. No, and there was nothing that morning that came in. And okay. All of a sudden said to me, yeah, he wants out. You should report this. Like it, it was going on all off season. You just keep hearing it. And there, there was more and more talk. And now they're starting to be Aaron Rodgers talking. I say, you know what? This isn't going to wait much longer. Let's just go. And it just happened to be drafted. Because I wondered when you said it didn't come from Rodgers, didn't come from the Packers, and it's being characterized differently. I was wondering, okay, you're not going to tell me your source. You know, what was the motive Dan, behind that? Yeah. Dan, there's not a source. No, no, I know. But I know that now. But we're just finding this out right now. This well, is- I said this. I said it on NFL Live. I said it on my podcast. I said it. You know, I mean, I don't know. People want to believe whatever they want to believe. It was just an accumulation of information throughout the course of the entire offseason. There was no source. What are you talking about, Schefter? In the article, you literally say league and team sources told ESPN on Thursday. What in the world are you talking about? You see Dan Patrick? Do you hear Dan Patrick? He's befuddled. He can't believe it. He can't believe, A, what Schefter is saying. And B, that he's actually admitting it, which tells me that this is what happened. He's being pressured by either the Packers or Rodgers to make sure he goes on record somewhere. He just gets it out there somewhere that there was no source or his source was wrong and he's trying to backtrack. But I don't that's very rare. I, the percentage that that's the possibility is very low to me because even if the source is wrong, you don't want to backtrack. You want to keep it going 
hey, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. If they refute it, they refute it. There's no way anyone's going to be none the wiser. Like, no, no one's going to know. So this is telling me, because why would Schefter willingly say this to the world? This is telling the world, hey, wink, wink. This is what we do. This is what the news oftentimes does. There is no source. There is no report. I'm just writing a story opportunistically based on accumulation of information, the same stuff you've seen as a fan, the press conference, the game, the Jeopardy, all of it. But I work for ESPN, and why not tomorrow? Why not next week? Why not a month before? Why not on draft day? I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. It doesn't, it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. It, the thing that doesn't make the most sense is Schefter actually admitting this and saying it with such bravado and such a e- in such an egotistical way where there was no report. What are you talking about? Dan, what are you talking about? There's no report. You hear Dan? Oh, he, did, he didn't know what to say. Caught him stunned. Because Schefter, your article actually says there's a report. Rogers keeps telling people in the Packers organization that he does not want to return to the team. That's a re- that's report. That's a source. And Schefter's acting as if it didn't happen. So what do you take from this as a Jets fan, as NFL fans? What you take from it is social media has doomed us, doomed journalism. Doomed news, doomed competency, people running wild with reports and sources and people, you see fan accounts making up reports and sources on Twitter. It's all garbage. Give me the film. Show me what a cover one robber is. You know, explain to me how Elijah Moore is going to threaten the edge with his jet motion prowess. Forget all the noise, like, uh, I'm the man because I know this first. Forget all that crap. The person who raises his hand for attention is the person who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about most of the time. Follow the people that know what they're talking about. You know, the person that dumps on other people, instead of trying to lift them, is the person who may gain short-term satisfaction, but he or she won't gain long-term happiness or long-term results you know over the long haul the frauds and the and the um not primetime players will be exposed the genuine people's hard work makes that happen and Schefter I, I I'm not trying to bash the guy but this one instance this very instance is unbelievable it should be an eye-opener for so many sports fans and so many people who consume news, especially on social media. Um, you probably already knew it in the back of your head anyway, that most of these reports and sources are garbage. But the fact that this is actually being admitted on a radio show nationwide is stunning. And it should stick with you every time a report or source comes out. A report and a source shouldn't be waved away or dismissed. What it should do is it should lead to a real conversation. Instead, we in this country, 
because of social media, because of the race to the finish line or to the starting line to get to it first, we take reports and sources. You see it in politics all the time. We take reports and sources as gold, as absolute gospel. This was one that I just could not not talk about. This was just too incredible. And to act like he did nothing wrong is the worst part about it all. The question that's in my head is why? Why did he go on Dan Patrick's show and admit this? He didn't have to admit it. He wasn't painted into a corner by Dan Patrick. He wasn't in a tricky spot. So why? The admittal. Why? He had to have been pressured somewhere by somebody or some reason why he had to let people know there was no one specific source. What's that reason? I have no idea. Lastly, we'll hit on Tom Wilson and the Rangers real quick. Put a bow on this ugly season for the Rangers. Um, If you're a Rangers fan, you already know what happened, Tom Wilson. Dirty player, you know, I'm not as soft as the NHL is these days, and a lot of other fans are. I like the fighting. I never want to see it leave. I think it's a necessity in this sport. It's a part of the sport's blood. Uh, This is, admittedly, this is one of the sports I did not play in an organized way growing up. Played football, baseball, basketball, ran track. Never played hockey in an organized way. So I think that's why I'm the biggest fan of it. I think that's why the Rangers are my favorite team as a fan because I don't know this sport as well. That's my theory. At least, you know, I fell in love with the 94 team when I was 11. This is dirty by Tom Wilson. It's horrible. Um, I mean, what can you say? He's in the crease Bushnevich goes down. Dowd is on top of him. Bushnevich's face is in the ice. Wilson starts punching him in the side of the head. Are you kidding me? Who comes over? Panarin comes over. He has to. There's no way he can't. Wilson gets a hold of Panarin, pulls his hair down, starts punching him in the head, ragdolls him. Um, Panarin is not a fighter. He's a skilled player. Wilson is going to crack these guys. He's going to kill them. It, you know, there's a code in hockey. Even, even if I might not know the sport, like I do football or basketball, I know this. There's a code in hockey among tough guys where you don't fight and destroy guys that you know you could fight and destroy. You don't do it. You could be a tough guy, take on other tough guys, Send messages to a guy like Panarin at times, but you don't do this. You don't go this far. That's against the code. And we've seen it a million times from guys like Marshan and Wilson. Marshan not so recently, Wilson recently. How the NHL doesn't suspend this guy, I have no idea. Uh, the fine amount, I forget how much the fine was, but the laughable thing was the Rangers' fine for their statement was entirely more than Wilson's. Uh, my apologies. I don't. I forget the exact numbers, but uh, from a Rangers perspective, so the NHL dropped the ball. It led to the fights, the game for the game, was it last night or two nights ago? 
the Rangers pretty much got cleaned in the fights. There might have been one victory. Credit Brendan Smith for challenging Wilson. Credit the Rangers for fighting. This is not a fighting team. I hate the way it's built, this team. Obviously, JD and Gorton have been fired, which shocked everybody. I'm not, where I stand on that is I'm not totally for the moves, but I'm not totally against it either. I love how they rebuilt the team of skilled players, but there's something missing. You can't, you don't need an enforcer in today's league, but you need guys who can get under the skin of the opponent. You know, who is that guy in the Rangers who can get under the skin of the opponent, win the game within the game? Uh, who are the grinder types? Yeah, I know you got Rooney and Di Giuseppe and Bushnevich is starting to fill that role more and more. But you need the agitators. It doesn't have to be an enforcer. You need some tough guys. You need balance in hockey. And Gorton, from that perspective, Gorton and JD have done a terrible job. Drury is now the man. Glenn Sather lurks in the shadows. Dolan is obviously listening to Sather. It's an Isaiah Thomas situation. I know Rangers fans are pissed, but all I can tell you is this. Yankees fans were pissed in 96 as well. When Buck unceremoniously got the axe after Buck and Gene Michael, Stick Michael, built that dynasty at the start when George was suspended for the Winfield stuff. And he got the axe after losing three straight in Seattle in 95 wildcard. Yankees fans were pissed. Joe Torre comes in. Joe Joe Torre was a notorious loser in the MLB. Never been to the World Series. Uh, What was the headline? Uh, Clown, man, I'm forgetting the headline. It was the post of the Daily News. The clown, the Joe Torre clown headline, the back page. Clueless Joe. Clueless Joe. At the start of the 96 season when they struggled at the gate. What happens? They win it. My dad even. My dad grew up a Yankees fan vowed to hate the Yankees from that day forward when Steinbrenner fired Buck when he shouldn't have. And it's funny, as soon as he started hating them, they go off and win a dynasty. So I call it the curse of Pete. Nonetheless, and by the way, sidebar, Steinbrenner is the most overrated owner in sports history, but that's a different topic for a different day. You know, he didn't have much to do with those dynasty teams. Nonetheless, sometimes, Rangers fans, it takes, like like the Yankees in 96, the late 90s, it takes a certain regime to build the team, and it takes a certain front man to polish it off and lead the group to victory. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Drury, but it's always possible. Maybe Drury's the perfect guy to find that blend. Uh, the perfect guys to to mesh with the stars like Panarin and Kako and Lafreniere, uh, stars, skill players, what have you, Zibinijad, Strom. Maybe he's that guy. Maybe Sather still knows what he's doing. I know Sather was rough when he first got to the Rangers, spending a ton of money, missing the playoffs. Uh, he didn't miss the playoffs seven straight seasons, but the streak extended to seven straight seasons under his watch. Only the lockout and the implementation of the salary cap saved him because it forced him to truly build a team. And Sather did build those teams. Lundqvist had a huge part of it, but Sather built those teams smartly. 
So in terms of the future, I'm not super pissed about losing Gorton and John Davidson. I feel bad for John Davidson. If it was my choice, Quinn would be gone over everyone else. Does Quinn stay now? The Boston connection with Drury? I don't know. But uh, the future, I'm not too worried about. This Tom Wilson stuff, the response from the Rangers... The NHL should be ashamed for how they handled Tom Wilson. The Rangers should be ashamed. Not the players. The players did everything they could. The Rangers organization should be ashamed for how they sent the letter to the league. It's fine if you're pissed and you're mad. But to go that far is a strategically terrible move to question the person's job is a terrible strategy. Why get the league angry at you? Why? It makes no sense. There are smarter ways to handle it. Uh, by all indications or reports, Davidson and Gorton distanced themselves from that letter after their ousting. So it was probably Dolan, Sather, who constructed the letter, but who knows? We don't know. Um, Dolan, bottom line is you don't want Dolan meddling with the Rangers like he did with the Knicks for so long. And he's meddling now. It. it Based on what happened to the Knicks, it's horrible. It's heartbreaking. It's disastrous in terms of what you think about the future. But you never know. Jury could be the perfect guy to bring it home. Sather could still know what he's talking about. And as long as they show results, Dolan stays away. The salary cap is still here, so they're not going to go by way of the Giambi, let's overspend and destroy the integrity of the team route. But again, the integrity of this team is not set Anyway, like they need a certain type of player, not just a player, but multiple players to make this a complete team. And that's why they should be ashamed. The fact that uh, Panarin could not be defended by a teammate that night during the act or the game after. The players I credit, Brendan Smith I credit, Bushnevich, nice little dirty hit into the face of... Uh, who was that Caps player? He cross-checked right in the face, got suspended. But NHL, Rangers, <clears throat> bad job all the way around. Just got to hope Drury knows what he's doing. And you got to hope Sather still has all his marbles because he's clearly still in the ear, the willing ear of Dolan, who oftentimes allows one or two men become the most par- to become the most powerful men in New York City sports, like Isaiah Thomas before him, and like Sather now. Check out JetSexFactor.com. A uh, lot of stuff coming up. Blew it. I forget what film room he's work or film breakdown he's working on. He's got two more Zach Wilson sessions coming out. Hour and a half, two hours long. But I think he moved on to some of the other rookies. Uh, AVT, Elijah Moore. I know he's working on some stuff, so a lot of it's coming out. Nania still coming with the statistics with the advanced numbers. Hard. Wighouse, Vitor, Andrew Golden. Uh, I think they got some film stuff they're working on. Always look at Sam Krinick on Twitter. We got to get him writing again because he puts up a lot of good stuff on Twitter with the film, but he's got to get it down on paper because when he puts it on paper, it all comes together. So check out JetsXFactor.com, subscribe today, become a free member, join over a thousand paid subscribers. You know, we got over 20,000 mobile app downloads on Android and the App Store on 
iTunes, iOS combined. So we got a lot of people to the party. Uh, 300,000 monthly readers, over 1,000 paid subscribers. The paid content is tremendous. And it's free. Free trial for the first month. Uh, Sable Radio, check it out. YouTube, all that good stuff I mentioned at the top of the show. Stitcher, TuneIn, Google, iTunes, YouTube, um, and so on. Jets rookie minicamp rolls on Saturday. And a lot more Zach Wilson content to come from that because the fans can't get enough. But at least, thank God, the jersey numbers have been released. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've seen fans want to see the jersey number. And I get it. You got to get that apparel. You got to get that gear. But remember, these are unofficial numbers. If you get a Zach Wilson jersey, that's number two jersey right now. Which people are upset about the number two jersey as well. They don't like the, they don't feel it's a great NFL quarterback number, and it really isn't. You know, it's not 16, it's not 12, it's not 11 even, or 10. Seven. Seven's a classic quarterback jersey. Uh, but two, you know, Johnny Manziel wore two. Do people not like it because of that comparison? Uh, I, I wouldn't compare Wilson to Manziel in the least. Wilson's such a better passer, so far advanced in terms of his quarterbacking. Manziel was was a lot of legs, a lot of magic, and just not a hard worker. He just fell completely off the face of the earth when he was asked to work hard in the NFL and just couldn't get it done. So those comparisons are ridiculous, but a lot of fans not liking number two. Um, and again, so if you order a jersey from China or wherever you do, where it's custom and it's a Wilson number two, it's not a sure bet yet. These numbers are unofficial. Do I think he's going to be number two by the time week one comes? Yes, but they're not official. Elijah Moore at eight is probably your best bet, to be honest, ABT 75 for sure. But thank God the jersey numbers are out because that question was lingering over everyone's head. And the Jets love to hold that back to i think it's a good move fans get pissed about it but from an organizational standpoint i think it's a great move because it keeps the attention up it might be frustrating but it keeps the attention up the hype up the clicks up the always searching for new information up surrounding the jets so i think it's a brilliant move by the organization even though it's not really fan friendly uh, but from other standpoints, the Jets are incredibly fan-friendly uh, fan with One Jets Drive, the videos they do, uh, social media, even Woody Johnson killing it on his social media account these days. Most people would bet that's not Woody putting out that info. Woody has responded on Twitter saying it is him. So we got to take him at his word. And I think uh, Steve Cohen could learn a, two, a thing or two from Woody about how to conduct Twitter as a sports owner, to be honest, because Cohen... You know, asking what, asking his fans what his team should do. He gets into certain areas where you don't want to cross, certain lines you don't cross, but, and it could backfire, as it sort of did with the Portnoy um, stock nonsense. And he had to take a sabbatical from Twitter for a little bit. But, you know, let's not get off the beaten path here, which quite frequently happens on Sabo Radio. Email us, robbie.sabo at jetsxfactor.com. Robbie with a Y. Ask any question for the mailbag. We'll get to those in the next episode. 
and we'll try to get the next episode up on Sunday or Monday. It's going to be a quick turnaround because of the mini camp. Until next time. Thank you.